What's up? It's Friday the 18th of August, the initial podcast of My Attorney Didn't Tell Me Shit. I'm Alfonso Salazar, my co-host slash first guest, my law partner Christian Villanueva. What's up, man? What's going on? Not much. Just uh, trying to start this podcast thing, get it off the ground, but we're a legal podcast, so you know here comes the disclaimer. All legal cases are done case by case, so anything we talk about on the podcast isn't legal advice, can't be used to help you on your case. Uh, if you need help with any kind of legal stuff, reach out to us at centraltexasjustice.com. So, why are we doing this, man? What's up with the podcast? Well, I mean, there's a lot of information out there, and a lot of it's bad information. And concerning legal things, um, legal stories, you know, people's own criminal experiences, uh, experiences being arrested. We're just here to talk about them, you know, hopefully answer some questions people have uh, and be entertaining at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, title is perfectly fitting because every time I talk to one of my clients, that's their first go to is my attorney didn't tell me shit. The last time he didn't tell me this, he didn't tell me that. She didn't explain to me the process. And I got a little spiel that I give all of them, right? Today's one of the biggest days of your life, and it's going to change everything moving forward. But for me, this is Tuesday. And next Tuesday, I'll be doing this with somebody else. <clears throat> a lot of the old-timers forget that it's a uh, status quo for them, but it's a big deal for you. Yeah, I mean, and it's easy as an attorney going through this you know we do this day in day out we're in the courthouse we're talking to people who've been arrested it's easy for us to forget you know how big a deal this is we see it as another case another dwi another assault another whatever uh it's good for us to keep that perspective you know how big a deal this is for each person that we're representing because it's easy to forget yeah um but why should anybody listen to what we have to say uh, give the people a little bit of spiel about yourself, why you're an expert, or why anybody should listen to anything you got to say, man. <clears throat> right. So, you know, my name's Christian Villanueva. Uh, both me and Alfonso, we went to Baylor Law School. Uh, we've both been practicing for uh, roughly the same amount of time, about five years. Um, I, right out of law school, went into prosecution. So I prosecuted criminal charges for about three and a half years prior to going out on my own and then partnering up as a defense attorney, which I've now been doing for about two and a half years. And so it's a relatively short amount of time, legally, yeah, professionally speaking. There's plenty of attorneys out there that have been doing it for longer, but my entire career so far has been solely focused on criminal law um, and a lot of practical experience. We spend a lot of time in the courtroom. Uh, I've tried a lot of criminal cases, both misdemeanors and felonies. And so I have a pretty good idea of what I'm talking about, particularly in the areas that I practice. You know, we're in front of the same judges. We're in front of the same prosecutors. And I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point, but that's a big part of criminal law is just knowing your judges, knowing your prosecutors. And, you know, that's an area that I think we excel at. Yeah, explain that part to everybody is uh, attorney credit. It's like if you go to the bank and you need to borrow some money, they want to look at your W-2s. They want to see if you've paid your bills in the past. They want to see if you're good for it. 
uh, attorneys build that in the courthouse. They build it with the prosecutors, they build it with the judges. And you do develop this credit, right? Like if I tell a judge something, the first time they're probably gonna be skeptical. Um, not really know who I am, don't know what I'm doing, why they're gonna give me the benefit of the doubt. But seeing them day in, day out, day in, day out, if I lie to them or say something that's not 100% true, they're gonna hold that against me later. And after so many times where I've told them the truth or come to them with the situation, and they do a little research and they check me, and it turns out it's right, well, then you develop credit. When Credit can go a long way for your client, uh, getting anything as far as motions done, or even getting a better deal with the prosecutor's office because once you've developed the reputation for either being honest, telling them the truth, or willing to fight it out, uh, comes with some due respect, I guess. For sure. I mean, I see it happen all the time. You see some attorneys will approach judges and they'll address them super informally, very casually, and they'll ask for things, and the judge will just nonchalant, without even thinking about it, just say yes. Uh, but then you'll see other times when an out-of-town attorney, or just an attorney the judge isn't familiar with, will walk up, address them formally, and make a request. It seems pretty reasonable, and the judge will say no. Or they'll make them jump through some hoops. Um, similarly, there's prosecutors that I've gone out with, I've had drinks with, I've had beers with, I've spent personal time with, and you're kidding yourself if you don't think that there's a benefit to that. And, you know, is it, is it anything that's unprofessional? No, but it's just that when I tell them something, when I ask them for something, I get the benefit of the doubt. They maybe trust me, they take my word a little more than they would someone they don't know. Yeah, and that is something I know we're going to cover for sure, because being on the outside of the legal field, sometimes that does come across as unprofessional. People are like, how are you having lunch with this guy who's trying to put me away forever? How are you going to get a drink after work with this girl that is trying to ruin my life? And like I said, for that prosecutor, it's Tuesday. Your file number 1963-CR whatever. You're not who you think you are to them. Uh, but that's a good background. I mean, you know what you're talking about. A little bit about myself. I uh, joined the military pretty young. Couldn't afford to go to college. I was broke. Uh, and you do all the things that they tell you not to do when you join the military. Like, I want to play with guns and I want to blow some stuff up. So, <laughs> uh, cop profession was for me. I got a little experience doing arrests, doing drug investigations, doing all that kind of stuff. Went to college at UT. Got a government degree, couldn't figure out if I wanted to stay in the military or not, and Baylor offered me the opportunity to go to law school where we met, um, and I've been doing that ever since. I started my legal career as a baby prosecutor too, but I was still in law school. They do what they call a three-year bar card where they let you go and shadow somebody. Essentially, it's free labor. I get to go do their work, and they get to free give me some experience. Uh, but it was pretty cool. I learned a bunch of stuff, prosecuted a bunch of cases, um, kind of some big deals too, some of the things that we'll talk about too. I kind of got thrown into the deep end there, straight felonies right away, sink or swim. Um, finished up my military career. It was kind of hard to get a prosecutor's job when they don't know if you're going to be in the country. And uh, went to the defense side. <clears throat> it's a little... 
confusing, I think, for normal people when you hear prosecuting versus defense side. Uh, prosecutors always seem like the ones that are fighting the good fight, the ones that are um, doing the right thing. But you can do a lot of good on the, pro the defense side as well, right? Absolutely. Not, not everybody's guilty, and <clears throat> even those that are guilty, we get into some moral conundrums for what's the point of this whole thing, right? <clears throat> what are we doing here? Is it uh, let's go punish everybody, fire and brimstone? Let's fix some people so that we never have to see them ever again. Or let's just try to make everybody as whole as possible. And a lot of times you can do that on the defense side where you can't do that on the prosecutorial side. Because um, as much as we want our legal system to be blind, it is pretty political all the way around. For sure. I mean, look, it's an adversarial system in a lot of ways. Okay, They're trying to punish somebody and we're trying to protect their rights. And that can mean a lot of different things. That can mean that we're trying to make sure they don't get punished for something because they either didn't do it or there's not enough evidence to say they did do it. But it can also mean that we're trying to make sure they get punished fairly. Okay. Um, <clears throat> every case is in a situation where we're going in with the ultimate goal of getting that case dismissed or having that person found not guilty. Sometimes people did do what they're accused of. And a lot of times they're upfront about it. And then the question's just making sure that they're not treated unfairly and that their rights are protected. If somebody steals $100 worth of stuff from Walmart, you know, should they be sent to prison for five years? I think we can all agree that that's not the case. And you may say, well, that can't happen. That's such a small amount. That's a misdemeanor. But if they have prior convictions, they can bump that up to a felony. And next thing you know, for stealing $100, you're looking at 2 to 10 or even worse. And then the question is, is that fair? And our job becomes, you know, making sure that they're not sent to prison for the rest of their lives for something relatively minor. Hey, Walmart, you want to know how you stop people from stealing from your store? Hire cashiers. I don't work there. <laughs> Dude, it's one of my biggest pet peeves is having to check out my own stuff. You know how many I cases I get to where people are just like, I'm not going to scan this or I'm going to scan something else instead because screw you, Walmart, you're making billions of dollars and I have to bag my own groceries. And half the times, the damn checkout counters don't even work properly. I'm scanning things and it says you need a cashier. It tells me I got to weigh my stuff after I scan and I try to do that and it doesn't register correctly. And then I'm waiting for someone to come... Check me out anyways, all right? Hire a few more people, pay them a fair wage. Ugh, I mean, checking out one or two things through self-checkout is fine, but when I've got a whole cart of things, I don't want to do that. But they have one cashier working, you know? No wonder people try to walk out with a few things. You know, don't do it, but I don't blame them. <laughs> I get it, man. I used to walk through the uh, courthouse when I was on my little three-year bar card, and I would be like, I need an adult. I can't sign any of these documents or I can't do this thing in front of this judge. I do the same thing at the store. It'll start beeping or the light will come on and it's like, I need an adult. I need somebody that works here because I don't work there. <laughs> Anyways, you got me off on a tangent, bro, about scanning stuff at Walmart. Um, but as part of the podcast, we always like to explain different views and different things that come with the legal perspective 
uh, and you and I were talking about this the other day, that there's a disconnect when we try to explain stuff to our clients or prospective clients. And I kind of dubbed it a steel man Trojan horse, right? A steel man is like a logic and debate topic. Most people know the straw man, right? It's where somebody tries to attack your argument in the weakest way possible. It's they're purposefully missing your point and looking for an Achilles heel. I'm just going to go after the straw man. You say the sky is blue and then they're just like, well, technically it's not because the atmosphere and the ozone layer and UV rays and all this other stuff. You're like, well, that's not what I was talking about. But, uh, you know, you knew what I was talking about, but you're intentionally skirting the argument so you can make some BS so you can feel good about yourself or whatever. Right, right. Steel man's the opposite. <clears throat> Steel man is even if somebody is presenting you a weaker version of an argument, you strengthen their argument as strong as possible so then you can defeat it in a manner in which is accurate and comfortable, right? Like, there's nothing else for you to say. I've taken your argument, even though it's the weaker of the two, and I've added to it. I've given you all the benefit of the doubt, and yet it still doesn't hold water. And these right. are the reasons why. And the reason I dubbed it the Steel Man Trojan Horse is because that's how I approach my, my cases, right? I'm trying to create this Steel Man so that I can hide inside of it and get inside that argument and then shred it from the inside. And that's how I approach my trials. That's how I approach my cases. Um, but people don't seem to like it when you explain to them that their cases are a lot tougher against them than they brought you their story. Right. I mean, it happens all the time when we're talking to a client, we've reviewed the evidence in their case. Let's say it's a DWI and we tell them, okay, this is the evidence. This is what the cops have. They stopped you because you were speeding or let's say, that's a bad example. There's a, there's some objectivity to that sometimes, but let's say they stopped you for running a red light. It's clear on video. All right. They talk to you. They notice some signs of intoxication. Okay. Then they took your blood. It was over the legal limit. And we lay everything out for them and tell them, look, this is why it would be possibly a bad idea to go to trial. And we make the strongest arguments as if we were going to trial to make sure they understand what they're looking at if they make that decision. But then a lot of times the clients get upset. And they're like, man, it just sounds like you're working for the state. It sounds like you're on the prosecutor's side. But, I mean, the fact is, the facts are what they are, and we have to explain them to you so that you understand how strong their case might be. And sometimes it's to explain how weak their case might be and why we should go to trial. But people get pissed at us all the time. They get upset with us because they think we're not representing them because we don't want to point out all the flaws you know, every time we talk about it. Yeah, I got a big issue with that too when I'm talking to prospective clients or just talking to people in general that are asking for advice. Um, and my go-to is always, you don't got to convince me, right? Like, Exactly. I'm not here. Well, let me take a step back, right? Because there are a couple of different ways. Unfortunately, this is a business. You got to pay us to help you. It's just the way that it works, right? It just works for doctors too. It works for anybody else that's in a profession. And there's some sort of twisted mentality where they're like, well, I'm paying you, so listen to my story. It's like, I mean, you can pay me to lose if you want to, but I don't really like losing, so maybe find somebody else. They come in, they tell you their story, and then 
you break it apart because they have a tendency to tell you their story in the best way possible for them. And there's always three sides to a story, right? Whoever's involved in the story has a side. The other person involved in the story has another side. And then there's probably the truth, like a blend of both of those of what actually happened. I'd rather not get a client and be a wet blanket than get a client, sell them a bill of fake goods and be like, oh yeah, totally, you're going to win this. Then we lose. And the only person they do have to blame at that point is me, right? Because I lied to them. I agreed with them. I just told them whatever they wanted to hear. And it's just bad for business all the way around, right? Because then one, you're a loser. Like all you do is lose because you just tell everybody what they want to hear. And then two, I mean, I'd rather you tell me it straight up, A, you have gangrene, you're going to lose your foot. Or, oh, no, man, we'll see what we can do and we'll figure out what happens. I don't want false hopes. I want my foot. And if you can't save my foot, well, then just tell me that. Right. And, you know, uh, at, we're never going to name names on this show to disparage people. That's not what we're going to do. But anybody listening, you should be well aware that if you're hiring an attorney, there are attorneys out there that will tell you exactly what you want to hear just to get them, just to get you to give them their money. They will promise you things, they will guarantee you that they can get your case dismissed. They'll tell you anything you want to hear to get your business. And it's dishonest, it's unprofessional, it's unethical, uh, but they'll do it to get your money. And I sit down with clients all the time and tell them like, look, based on what you're telling me, I'm going to be completely honest with you. We're not going to get the outcome that you want. And you need to know that going in. And if you don't like that, go hire somebody else because I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and that's a difficult thing for people to understand. Um, and back to the main point, be careful when you're out there trying to hire an attorney for whatever it may be for, whether it's a criminal case or any other type of situation. For the most part, <clears throat> attorneys should not be making you pros uh, promises before they get to look at all the evidence in your case. And if you're talking to an attorney who guarantees you something's going to happen, you should have a lot of skepticism about that. Yeah, I mean, that comes in both sides, right? We also do personal injury stuff. We do some civil rights stuff. We just hear stories all the time like, well, my car accident case has been lingering out here for two years because my attorney told me he was going to get me X, Y, and Z. Or she said that, oh, we'd have X amount of dollars in my pocket. And it doesn't happen. And then you just wasted a whole bunch of time and efforts. And I think the thing a lot of people forget when it comes to PI is that all that treatment and stuff that you get, if you don't win, you're still pretty much on the hook for it. Uh, there's letters of protection and things like that that we'll get into in one of these podcasts here in the future. But you're trusting somebody with your life. And if you come in with a story and they bite into it, hook, line, and sinker, I'd be skeptical too. But... None of that was on the podcast docket. It's just something that it seems like uh, it's been bubbling up for a while, so we got it out there. We got a lot to talk about. <laughs> but the Steel Man Trojan Hosh, right? Um, it's a good application, I think, for our listeners, once we get a fan base going, to apply to like everyday life and also to apply to uh, the court of public opinion. The one thing about the legal profession 
is that everybody's got an opinion on it, right? Especially with social media, podcast, all this stuff. And then it's a little different than the law. So I think what we wanted to do was take some cases here and there, maybe some popular ones, maybe some unique ones, discuss them, apply them to what people are saying just around the world, and uh, shed some light on just how stuff works. Yes, it's almost NFL football season. I got my draft coming up, so it was kind of fitting that we talk about uh, former NFL player, like I was saying, the fastest idiot off the field. But before we get on there, I did want to give our condolences to the Tintor family. Unfortunately, in the legal profession, nothing that we do on the back end can ever undo that damage. And they lost a young lady and family member and her puppy. Um, everybody who knows me knows I have a soft spot for dogs. So I just wanted to give our condolences out to the family and let them know that she's more important than this guy is now. Yeah, and just know as we're talking about this kind of stuff, I mean, there may be some jokes that are made, whatever the case, but that's not to take anything away from the fact that there's a, a real person that died here. There's a family that's hurting that, you know, there is stuff that's easy to overlook when we're talking about a person who is famous, gets a lot of recognition, and talking about the consequences of his actions and just the dumb decisions he made. Yeah, so on November the 2nd of 2021, uh, Henry Ruggs was at the top of his world, huh? He was just close to Rookie of the Year, might have been Rookie of the Year for the Raiders. Uh, driving drunk, reaching speeds of 156 miles per hour on a regular road and slammed into the back of this young lady's RAV4. Uh, she was at a stop, and she went 571 feet after the impact. Which is wild. Yeah, that's a long way to go, figuring how heavy the Toyota is versus how light the Corvette was. <clears throat> and that's two football fields. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the RAV4 caught on fire, um, pinning the driver and her animal in the vehicle, and they passed away. Uh, Henry Ruggs was arrested... And later, a DWI investigation ensued. He went to the hospital to make sure that he was not, you know, on death's door or anything, checking his injuries, and a blood draw was done at .161. Nevada, being similar to Texas, has a .08 uh, legal limit. So he was two times the legal limit when they drew his blood. And you're thinking, well, it's 2023, why are we talking about this? Well, the legal system works really slow, and he took a plea to two different charges, both one being a DWI and one being um, an intoxication manslaughter charge. And he's open for sentencing in a couple of months, and his range of punishment is three years to ten years. Now... Talk about that. You say range of punishment, three to ten years. I mean, what does that mean? So he did... Well, let's transfer this to Texas because that's what we're familiar with, right? So in the state of Texas, what happens is you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. You have an interaction with the police and it doesn't go your way and you get arrested. You get arrested for something and later it hits the desk of a prosecutor. The prosecutor is going to go ahead and take that story 
and apply it to the law and see if you were arrested for the proper thing and if there's anything else they can charge you with. Uh, the easiest way to describe it, I tell all of my clients, is if you're old enough, you remember cereal boxes came with cool decoder rings, basically a little piece of plastic that had cutouts. And you would stick it on the cereal box and the cutouts would give you a secret message. That is how the law works in a really lame nutshell. You take the law and you lay over the story. If that story checks off these little boxes, well then you can get charged with this crime. And so they do that a lot and they check the story versus the law and they find out whatever they're going to charge you with. Here he would have been charged with a class A misdemeanor DWI because he was above the legal limit. So DWIs, let's just say I'm driving down the street and a cop pulls me over and he's like, hey, I think you're drunk. And that's where it ends. Class B misdemeanor, right? I've been accused of driving while intoxicated. Class B misdemeanor holds six months in jail and a $2,000 fine is the maximum punishment. Now let's say that officer is a little more eager and he does his job or she does her job and she starts doing some investigations, gets enough information or I agree to do a blood or breath draw and my breath or blood comes back at above 0.15 blood alcohol content. That's gonna boost my charge up to a class A misdemeanor. Nothing changed other than we have that number now, but the maximum punishment for that is a year in jail, $4,000 worth of fines, or a combination of the two. The other portion of it was intoxicated manslaughter. Uh, essentially, your actions resulted in someone's death, and a caveat to that or a catalyst to that was the introduction of alcohol into your system somehow, right? Right. Due to intoxication, while you were operating the vehicle, the, a person died. Yeah, essentially is what it boils down to. So, two different things can happen there when it comes to pleas. Usually your attorney will negotiate a bunch of things, you'll do a bunch of things, and we'll get a agreement saying, hey, you did X, Y, and Z. We're going to punish you in accordance with the law for this amount, a year, two years, five years. And when you sign, you're fully aware of what the punishment is that's coming. There's another thing called a plea bargain of open. Basically open is I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the court. The range of punishment that the law allows is from, in this case, three years up to 10 years. I will come back and the judge, you do what you want to do. And so that's where we're at with this guy, right? He pled and now he's just waiting to see what the judge is going to do. Right. So he has said, I'm guilty. He's accepted responsibility, but he has not been given a punishment yet. Yeah. As of right now, he has not. <laughs> okay. And, you know, people may have questions. Well, so how does that work? If he's pled guilty, I mean, where does he go while he's waiting? And there can be a lot of different answers to that question. Um, sometimes people will be held in jail. Sometimes they'll be given a bond. And if they're given a bond, that means they can basically put money up to be released from jail while they're awaiting their court date. And that's what's happened here. Henry Ruggs is confined to his house on ankle monitoring and other conditions of bond while he is waiting his sentencing. So he is out of custody until he is sentenced, at which point he will be sent to prison 
somewhere in the range of three to ten years. Okay? And, I mean, let's talk about how does that decision get made? Obviously, you said a judge is going to do it, but what? how does the judge decide? Well, let's take a couple steps back, right? Let's talk about how the decision to even take this plea um, comes into the fact. Okay. Because there's two sides to this, right? I tell all of my clients, the negotiation phase of things is made up. It's an imaginary land that we work in. And I say all that because it is. <clears throat> the state of Texas, and in this case, the state of Nevada, has the ability to try every single charge that comes in front of their desk. Unfortunately, it's unrealistic. Apparently, well, not apparently, actually and sadly, so many people get arrested and so many people are charged that it would take anywhere from one to three years of just dealing with crimes to handle one fiscal year worth of crimes. So let's say all of 2022, it would take from 2023 to 2025 or six to finish all of the charges we have from 2022, at least in the counties that we work with. Yeah. So prosecutors come to the table with these plea deals and it's difficult. And you and I have gone back and forth on this, on how to offer a plea deal. <clears throat> the way I personally look at it is I look at it by the harm, right? Your actions cause this much damage. And by damage, I mean, you know, we've lost the life of this lady. We've lost this dog, whether you like dogs or not, a creature was taken. Um, all the police work that went into it, the recovery scene that went into it, people had to come and tow those vehicles. The fire department had to come and put out the fire. Um, they had to repair the roads. There was damage done. Um, and not to say that that's as important uh, as this young lady's life. It is just part of the equation. Uh, all the officers, the medical staff that had to give Henry Ruggs his attention, the coroner's office that had to go and make sure that there was nothing else um, going on in this investigation with this lady. Um, a detective had to write up the reports. It had to land in a prosecutor's desk. A prosecutor had to do all that. And that's all tax dollars. That's all somebody's time. And while we're dealing with this one particular case, there are people that need help. There are people that need to call the police. There are people that need medical attention. There are people that are victims of other crimes that are not getting the attention because this one individual did this thing. So I look at it as the harm. You have to take that harm and you have to put it to the law. And in Nevada, the law says maximum punishment for the things that he's been charged with is 10 years. Minimum is three years. And then you have to decide what fits this crime. And un unfortunately, you have to take a totality of the circumstance, right? Who is the defendant? What happened? Who's the victim? What happened? Why did this happen? And a lot of those questions you never get the answers to, right? You're sitting in an office somewhere and this other person's at home or in jail and you have to think through, all right, who is this guy? All right, well, he's a young guy. He's newly successful he's and if i remember correctly there was some weird stuff to this story that never really got answered right there was like a random pistol found supposedly he had been being chased down the street 
Um, and I don't think anything ever came of any of that. But it's also one of those questions in the back of your head, like, what is happening? Yeah. Like, is this guy involved in some other stuff that we don't know about? And now he's getting chased down Vegas like it's old school mob style. And they got a hit on this guy and he's running for his life and then he crashes. Well, none of that ever surfaced. But you have to think that the prosecutor's thinking, like, what is going on? I don't have the full picture here. <clears throat> so once you do look at all that, then you have to boil it down. And I think that's where people get lost. It looks a little callous and it looks... Like you're not appreciating the situation. But the only thing I'm dealing with as a prosecutor is this particular moment in time. Right? It's almost like Henry Ruggs didn't exist until that Stingray made it contact with that RAV4. I don't care about his childhood. I don't really care about his success on the football field. I don't really care about anything else other than the fact that this car made impact with this car. And it resulted in this death. Because you've already taken into account who the victims are. You've already taken into account who the defendant is. And then you just make an offer. <clears throat> Me personally, I'm probably leaning towards 10 years. Right? Nothing that I do as a prosecutor or the judge, if the judge is the one that's going to dish out this punishment, is going to change anything. But... You made your bed, right? Right. And I know this, this is a difficult one for people to wrap their heads around because somebody died. <clears throat> and so a lot of people feel like, well, he killed somebody. I mean, he caused the death of somebody. I mean, he should go to jail for the rest of his life. He should go to prison for the rest of his life. And, I mean, I've heard people, I've talked to people who have said, you know, they don't really even make a huge distinction between something like this and like a murder okay and and i think we're going to get into some of that where where the distinction kind of lay um but the fact is that around the country for the most part this type of crime is capped at, at a punishment range of 10 years um however at the same time there's a low end to that and it's three years and you know you're saying for you they that you would probably make offers in the range of 10 years you feel that that's appropriate but a judge could give him as little as 3 and a prosecutor could give him as little as 3 and i think the the idea behind a range of punishment <clears throat> is that the legislature's saying there are scenarios where this type of crime can be committed where we can foresee three years being appropriate. And there's also scenarios where this kind of crime could uh, uh, can occur that we think 10 years would be appropriate. And we're going to leave all that up to the prosecutors, the judge, the defense attorneys to hash out. But it's got to be somewhere in that range. Yeah, um, it's a good point you brought up. Let's get into a little bit of the specifics, right? So in the articles that we were talking about and reading, it said that they did a blood draw several hours after the accident and he was at a 0.161. So that's double the legal limit, right? The only problem is there isn't a way to test his blood alcohol content the moment he was behind the wheel of that car. And that's a big factor in a lot of DWIs all around the country. Uh, it's called reverse extrapolation. 
It's this scientific mathematical procedure you do to try to narrow down what his blood actually was when he was behind the wheel of the car. So scenario, you and I finish this podcast, I slam a handle of Jack Daniels and I hop in my car. Have I broken the law yet? Technically, no, right? Right, you're not drunk yet. I'm not drunk yet, right? Yeah, I slammed a handle, but it's gonna take a little bit for it to have its effects. As time progresses, and I'm operating that motor vehicle down the road, there will be a moment in time where the alcohol has done its job. And now I'm guilty of breaking the law. That being said, obviously I'm going to be shit-faced if I drink an entire handle of Jack. (laughs) But if you flip that the other way around, right? Let's say you and I do a celebratory toast of champagne because it's our first podcast. Well, I can only get so high of a blood alcohol content with that one glass of champagne. And so, unless you're with me and you know I've only had one, how are we going to know what the number is? And it's only a crime if you're intoxicated operating the motor vehicle. Those two have to match up. So let's say I slam the handle to Jack, I get in the car, and before I even make it out of the parking lot, officer pulls me over. He's like, hey, think you've been drinking? You smell like whiskey. Uh, Think you're drunk? And he takes me through the whole process. And then he takes two hours to get me down to the hospital or to the jail, pulls my blood, and the blood shows that I'm at 0.16. Well, yeah, when he pulled my blood, I'm at 0.16 because we all know I just chugged a handle at Jack Daniels. Right. But while I was operating my motor vehicle, I probably hadn't even registered yet. And that's a huge problem, right? And that was one of the considerations that went in. In this case, they were concerned that they were going to lose that blood alcohol content, right? Defense attorneys were going to file motions to suppress, and they were going to lose that number. So that was one of the reasons that the prosecutor even extended this plea offer. And so I think the concern for prosecutors and the concern for the cops in these scenarios is say somebody is arrested they're found to be driving they go through all the processes they decide to make an arrest but the officers really drag their feet and it takes them you know two to three hours to do their investigation and then they go and they take them to the jail and they have to get a warrant to draw the person's blood and Next thing you know, blood's being drawn, but it's been six hours since the person was arrested. Well, that's a long time. And there can be a lot of things that happen. In, there's a lot of things that happen in your body biologically to break down any alcohol that might be there. And so what can happen is maybe you were intoxicated while you were driving. You were over the legal limit. But six hours later, your blood might be under the legal limit. Um, or vice versa as kind of what we're talking about, you might have a situation where you chug a bunch of alcohol, you take a bunch of drinks, you get in your vehicle, you're fine. 
you just had drinks five minutes ago. You're not intoxicated. But come two, three hours later, after they arrest you, they do their investigation and then draw your blood, that alcohol has now been absorbed into your system and your blood alcohol is much higher than it would have been. And that's always something we have to keep in mind while we're doing these kinds of cases. Is it appropriate in every case? Is it necessary to think about in every case? Not necessarily. Sometimes an investigation happens very quickly and blood's drawn within an hour of arrest. And depending on the number that comes, it may not really be necessary to think about this kind of thing. But often it is. Yeah, there's a lot of small pieces that go into a case. Um, and for this one in particular, it was, a, it was kind of a big deal. It was a crux of the case, right? It shows how intoxicated he was. It shows his inability to make clear-headed, level decisions. It shows a lot. It's a huge crux of this case. And so we were talking about punishment ranges and the court of public opinion. So I wanted to bring up another case that also happened to play out in the media around the same time. Uh, the rapper Tory Lanez and Megan The Stallion. So in this story, apparently they're all hanging out at a party. If you don't know who they are, they're both rappers. Tory Lanez is a rapper, Megan The Stallion's a rapper. She had a cool challenge over COVID. She had the bacon stallion knees. Everybody was doing TikTok. Is it Megan the stallion or is it Megan the stallion? Ooh, I don't know. Street creds are going out the window. Um, Regardless, apparently they're hanging out. I don't know. The stories come back and forth. They might be in a relationship of some sort. They're dating, blah, blah, blah. Not anymore. Yeah. Doubt that stayed to going. But supposedly the story is that Megan's clowning on Tory Lanez because she's got better bars than he does. She's got Grammys. Her tours are better than he is. His rap game straight trash. And they get into an altercation after like some party. Tory Lanez trying to defend his reputation. Uh, thinks he's the Wild West. Pulls out a gun and literally hits her with a dance, bitch, dance. And starts pulling the trigger at her feet. One of those rounds strikes her in the foot. Police are called. This is where it gets a little weird because... Before she, you... I want to stop you real quick. Is that actually a part of the story? That is Where he supposedly hits her with the Western dance and shoots at her feet? The article says he shoots at her feet and says dance, sexual, expletive, slash derogatory term. So he hit her with the dance, bitch, dance like he's in front of a saloon in a western. That's hilarious. (laughs) I don't, you know, everything else in the story aside, that's maybe one of the funniest things I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah, so, ends up hitting her. She didn't dance fast enough. She got Megan the knees, (laughs) now Megan the feet. Hits her in the foot, and cops are called. Now, people are going to think this is weird, but this happens a lot. Victims don't always tell the truth. There's a million reasons why. You've had bad interactions with police in the past. You don't want to get your person in trouble. You don't want to get in trouble for some reason. Somehow, people are always scared they're going to be the ones to get in trouble, even if they're the ones that need help. So she says, 
I stepped on some broken glass bottles and I messed up my foot. I just need paramedics. I guess you just don't know when to leave well enough alone. Tori drops a diss track talking shit about shooting this person in the foot. Saying, I didn't do it. If you got hit in the back, how'd you know it was me? Just pretty much dragging her in this diss track. This is like a bad comedy movie. I did not know all the details of this. I knew she got shot in the foot. I didn't know that this guy was this big a moron. (laughs) Yeah, he just doesn't know when to leave well enough alone, I guess. But also, don't talk shit about my bars, right? Oh, no, I get that. I'm not above shooting someone in the foot if they diss my bars. I spit fire. Hot fire. (laughs) So, she comes out with a diss track, too. They're going back and forth in the court of public opinion. Finally, the investigators get involved. She tells them the truth. She's like, look, you can check the medical records. I needed the surgery. It turns out there's fragments, whatnot. He shot at my feet. X, Y, and Z. So they went to a trial. He pled not guilty. They went to a trial. She went on the stand and told the truth or her version of the truth. Like I said in the beginning of this podcast, right, there is a you were involved, I was involved, and then some blend of the two is probably what really went down. He got found guilty, and he got sentenced to 10 years for shooting her in the foot. And I think the reason I wanted to bring this one up is because it's a good comparison it has nothing to do with Henry Ruggs. It has nothing to do with an intoxication manslaughter. It has nothing to do with a death. But all three parties, pretty famous. All three parties engaged in some sort of act that got them in trouble. And one guy who took a life is looking at three to ten. One guy who hit him with a spaghetti western got ten. Right. So the internet has been blowing up. And it's been doing the comparison, so I figured we'd talk about it. What do you think? <clears throat> so, I mean, one thing I want to say about it from the beginning is we talked about the Henry Rugg situation with the range of punishment being 3 to 10, right? So I think we should also mention the range of punishment for the Megan the Stallion situation. And I don't know... I don't know exactly what state this was in and the laws may be, the laws are very different from state to state. That one thing, if you're not aware, everyone should understand there's not uniform <clears throat> laws throughout the state, uh, throughout the states, throughout the country regarding criminal law. <clears throat> Each state has different laws. Sometimes they're very similar. Sometimes they're very different. Um, on this podcast, for the most part, we're going to try and frame things in the terms of Texas law. Because that's what we practice. And so for this type of situation, what you'd be talking about is an aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Which basically just means that you committed assault, you caused injury to somebody, and in doing that, you either caused significant bodily injury, serious bodily injury, or you used a weapon. Okay? And if both of those things happen, you used a weapon and there was some serious bodily injury... And some other factors. It sounds to me like it would be a first degree felony. Okay. And in Texas, by default, the range of punishment in a first degree felony would be 5 to 99. Okay. So that's a huge range. 
So we could split the baby because he might have fallen into the first degree. He might have fallen into the second degree, right? Right, right. It's possible. And so second degree, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Like I said, could fall under second degree. So two to twenty, ten thousand right. dollar fine. And so yeah, either way. So let's say let's just say second degree and two to twenty. <clears throat> they come back right in the middle, basically. They give him ten. All right. So that's what we're looking at with the Tory Lane situation. With Henry Ruggs, <clears throat> we're talking three to ten. Okay. And also important to note, since we just mentioned that two to twenty on a second degree felony is what we were talking about, possibly with Tory Lanes, with Henry Ruggs in Texas, we'd be talking about a third degree felony, the range of punishment two to ten. Okay. Now, <clears throat> comparing the two, what are what are just initial thoughts when hearing that? Well, you know, honestly, I, I don't know anything about Tory Lanes, his background. You know his history, criminal, uh, criminal history, anything else about him, but it seems pretty appropriate. I mean, somebody who, all jokes aside, when hit with a relatively minor, you know, situation, pulls out a gun and starts shooting it at somebody. Uh, Ten years seems appropriate. Um, I don't have any big issue with that. So the court of public opinion, the keyboard lawyers arguing back and forth all along the internet is like he shot her in the foot right she's on concert still she's out here doing her tour making her money doing her thing and this cat's doing 10 years so the guy killed a lady and he's possibly doing the same or less so we gotta take a step back right unfortunately the laws aren't written for what you did the laws are written to prevent you from doing stuff and that's a whole other podcast about how it doesn't work but um they're trying to prevent you from doing some things right and they do give some small benefit of the doubt for your first couple of dwis right and i think the mentality is alcohol is a mind-altering substance so what I know for a fact, and I wasn't there, but I can guarantee it probably, is that Henry Ruggs didn't wake up on that day and say, I'm going to go get blasted and slam my Corvette into a lady. Right. What happened was he went out, he had one, he had two, he had three, and somewhere in there, your reptilian brain or your conscious decision-making portion of your brain one turns off and one turns on and now you're just popping bottles having a great time and everybody's always talked to that one person who's like nah i'm good or maybe you were before you got in the car like we talked about right maybe it hadn't had its effect on you but it'll creep on you and then you're not good and there is a lack of intent there right like i said he's the fastest idiot off the field because that is just it right you're just dumb at this point right you have money you can call uber you can call lyft you can call buddy somebody can pick you up so there's a little bit of deference in the fact that you weren't planning to hurt somebody right and i mean i think you can couch it in this term let's say he just wasn't drinking okay this exact scenario but he's not drinking no 
He's still going 150 miles an hour. That's still pretty bad, okay? But at that point, we're just talking about a traffic accident, something that happens every day without anybody being charged criminally, right? So let's take this scenario and say he's not going 150. Let's say he's driving 80 miles per hour and he hits somebody and kills him. Not intoxicated. It's just a traffic accident. There's no intent for anything bad to happen. Okay? And what makes this criminal is the intoxication. You went and got drunk. <clears throat> because of that, we are now going to hold you responsible even for an accident or a mistake. Yeah, because think, you made the choice to get intoxicated. I think a good example that you were, I think you kind of just missed a good example, right? If he was driving 156 miles per hour down the road, again, he's not intending to hurt anybody. He's just disregarding the rest of our safety. And so there's intent to speed. There's intent to be a jerk that thinks they're more important than everybody else and what they're doing is more important and they got to get somewhere. But there's not intent that he wants to hurt anybody. Well, let's, so let's talk about that then. Let's, uh, we've said the word intent and that's a common word, but let's kind of define that a bit in terms of criminal, uh, the criminal world. Um, with almost every crime, in Texas anyways, and throughout most of the states, there's an element of intent that's required before the statutes list what the actual crime means. It says intentionally, knowingly, or recklessly. And so it's in terms of Tory Lanez, he committed an assault. And what it, what an assault is, is intentionally, knowingly, or recklessly causing bodily injury. Okay. That's the intent element intentionally, knowingly, or recklessly. And we're not going to go through specifically, what each of those mean, but it's pretty straightforward. Intent, you intentionally did something knowingly, that one gets complicated. We're not gonna to talk too much about that. And then recklessly, which is doing something that you should, basically that you should have known was dangerous, that then caused injury, okay? And I think in the situation you're describing, where he's going 150, even completely sober, I think, most people would probably say that's pretty reckless. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the reasons we did this podcast and we forgot to mention it, right? The one thing that we learned in law school is that while you and I are speaking English, when we're in the courtroom or when we're talking about our cases, we're speaking a whole different version of English. Each word has a different definition. Each word means a different thing. And every single word you use is really important. And I think that's where it gets lost in this uh, court of public opinion and the arguing back and forth is because they're speaking, you know, regular everyday English, but they're throwing these terms around that hold weight. Right. And so going back to rugs, he had intent there to do something, but what it wasn't was intent to hurt this person. When we do the comparison to the Tory Lane story, Maybe he didn't want to hit her. And that was a good point that you brought up is because he should have known that by doing the old school saloon six shooter to the feet, there's a high probability that he was going to hit her. 
And so that's enough because you intended to either scare her or get close enough to her and you didn't care if you hit her or not. And it does sound the same, right? It sounds kind of what I said about Henry is that he's doing this thing, but he didn't mean to hurt her. <clears throat> Let me break the stories down a little bit, I guess. Henry's drunk. Let's say he's drunk. Doing 156 on an empty freeway in Vegas. And he cruises the whole thing and never crosses another person. Nobody's going to get hurt. Yeah, he broke the law, DWI, reckless driving, but nobody's going to get hurt. The problem with the Tory story is that that wasn't the situation, right? He drew a weapon, aimed it specifically at a person, and pulled the trigger, right? All of those things with the intent to scare her or the intent to hit her. And so... <clears throat> the legislator looks at the actions and just says, you, Henry, you're selfish, you're reckless, you don't care about the rest of us out here. And we don't want that to happen. That's why we have these laws on the books. Because a lot of our clients look at DWIs like uh, most of the time, victimless crime. Got in my car, I drove home. No harm, no foul. Until it's not. Until you're Henry Ruggs, right? Until you take someone's life, until Miss Tintor is having a funeral because you were doing this crime. <clears throat> it was never your intent, but that's what we're trying to prevent. Right. And so they just kind of cap those things. So, I mean, I understand, I think you know, what you're saying. But, I mean, I want to talk about it this way. So, with Tory Lanez, what he did, it's, I think you can say it's either knowing or reckless. You know, he's shooting at her feet and he ends up hitting her. I mean, what if he doesn't? Because that's what you said about Henry Ruggs. He, he could have just been driving down the road. He could have just made it home. No harm, no foul. If Tory Lane doesn't hit her in the foot, there's probably no issue here, right? The cops don't get called. There's no arrest. Nothing happens, you know? But he did. And so he falls under the statute of assault because he either recklessly or knowingly did something that caused injury, okay? Um, and you say it's, like, inherently more dangerous, and I, that's... Maybe true. I mean, you fire a gun near somebody, probably a higher likelihood that you cause injury to somebody than if you just get drunk and drive down the road. Unfortunately, I think people do that every day and nobody gets injured. But my, my thought is, playing devil's advocate, talking about the steel man kind of scenario, with Henry Ruggs, I think the speed that he was driving makes a huge difference here because like I kind of talked about, say he's driving 80 miles an hour. If you take the alcohol away from the situation, I think we're talking about a traffic accident, an unfortunate accident. I think there's probably no criminal charges unless there's some other facts introduced to this. Probably scenario. just some reckless driving. Maybe, but if you're just driving 80 and you have an accident, 
Well, I think he was on a surface road. I think he's like on a regular just. Okay. Well, but you know, whatever. Let's yeah. say he's on the highway. Okay. okay. Right. Let's say he's driving the speed limit, I guess is what I mean. Um, so he's driving the speed limit. He causes an accident. The woman dies. I think we're probably not talking about any kind of criminal charges. <clears throat> but what we have is somebody going 150. So now let's take the alcohol out of that situation. Everything else is the same. He's driving. He's going 150. He wrecks into this woman and he kills her. <clears throat> we're definitely talking about criminal charges at that point, I think. And what I think is we're probably talking about the exact same charge that Tory Lane is facing. Some sort With, of vehicular manslaughter, some sort of aggravated I think, weapon using the car as a weapon. I think you're probably talking about something like that. You're possibly, in my mind, talking about murder. Because <clears throat> just like with aggravated assault where it's intentionally knowingly or recklessly murder has those same elements you intentionally knowingly or recklessly cause the death of somebody i mean driving 150 i can't think of something that more clearly sounds like a reckless act yeah and i think that's actually kind of one of the points i was trying to make earlier is the legislator does remove some portions of culpability based on the intoxication right <clears throat> and is that is that fair because i think so for me the henry rugg situation the speed he was going is what makes it a big deal for me is what makes it more serious uh, the scenarios i posited you know that, are, that i've been going through in my head are, I think with an intoxication manslaughter specifically, because there's no element of intent, like we talked about with Tory Lanez, there is no intentionally, knowingly, or recklessly with intoxication offenses. You don't have to intend anything with intoxication offenses. So say DWI, the crime is operating a motor vehicle in a public place. Okay, if you do that while intoxicated, that's a crime. All right. Now, you know, obviously I can hear people saying, well, what if somebody drugs me? There's exceptions for things like that. Okay. But yeah, so that is the caveat, right? <clears throat> if I consciously choose to have one drink or a hundred drinks, I don't get the benefit of the doubt after my blackout happens and I murder somebody. <clears throat> exactly. But if I'm hanging out drinking water and somebody slips me something and then some weird case scenario happens where I commit a crime. Well, that's different because I didn't make the conscious decision to get intoxicated when I had my wits about me. Right, right. And there's no suggestion in the Henry Ruggs incident that this was anything other than him deciding to get drunk. And so what we're talking about then is with intoxication manslaughter, the crime is causing death to somebody through intoxication. And it specifically says in the statute, by mistake or accident. All right, and that's what I want to focus on here. With intoxication manslaughter, that is a crime for a situation that occurs regardless of the fact that you are intoxicated by mistake or accident. Okay, so this is not through you being reckless while intoxicated causing a death. This is you're driving along and you kill somebody. And the intoxication probably played a part in it, 
but ultimately it was a mistake or an accident. If we take out the intoxication, we'd be talking about a traffic accident. That's not the case, in my opinion, with Henry Ruggs, because he was going 150 miles an hour. If we take intoxication out of Ruggs' situation, sure, you can make the argument, well, if he wasn't intoxicated, maybe he wouldn't have hit her going 150. That's fine. We'll never know that. But the legislator already said, you don't get that benefit of the doubt, right? Exactly. You don't get to say, I got shit-faced and I made some terrible decisions. Okay, your responsibility starts prior to getting shit-faced. Exactly. And that's why you could be you could be driving and have a... Well, I don't want to go down too many rabbit trails. Let's just get back to the specific scenario. If you take intoxication out of the mix here, all the other facts are exactly the same. Henry Ruggs hit somebody while going 150. In any scenario, if that happens, that person's getting charged with a crime. And there's a number of different crimes it could be. There's charges for like vehicular homicide. Uh, but more appropriately here, this would likely just be a murder charge. Murder is intentionally, knowingly, or recklessly causing the death of an individual. I don't think there's anybody out there that can make a, too much of a straight-faced argument that driving 150 isn't reckless. And you're driving a two-ton death machine 150 miles an hour on a public road. And it sounds like this wasn't even a highway. It wasn't. You know? I think she was at a stoplight. I think that's why she was parked and he right. slammed So in. he's not even on a highway where maybe the, you know, there's an expectation that people might be driving fast. Okay, 150 still is way too fast. But this is just a regular road, either an access road to the highway, something else. And he's driving 150. Um, you know, to me, this could have just been charged as murder. And... And maybe it was, uh, you know, I think the, the articles we looked at briefly did suggest that there were other charges that were dismissed as a part of the plea deal. And I think it's, there's a, a very real possibility that that's what happened here is the prosecutor said, look, here's your plea offer. You plea to intoxication manslaughter and we either, and we dismiss these other charges or we don't pursue something more serious. Um, because otherwise, if he's just charged with intoxication manslaughter, it seems odd to just plead guilty to it. You might as well have a trial. If you lose, you're going to get sentenced to the crime anyways. And so I would suspect that that's part of what's going on, is there were other charges that were filed that were more serious, something along the lines of what I'm suggesting, or there was the threat of it. Hey, take this plea or we're going to add a murder charge. Something yeah. like that. That's a good point. Um, I think just for our general audience, that is kind of how it works, right? So if I'm taking the decoder ring we talked about and I'm laying it over the law to see what exactly it is that you did, um, it can match up to more than one thing. And sometimes it is what we would consider lesser included, which means they all fall under the same umbrella. Or you could have broken multiple different laws and you could technically be charged with all of them. This one event transpired and you broke five different laws. Right. 
And the easiest way to describe it to just a normal person who might be facing this is that as a prosecutor, wanting your conviction, wanting this person to have to own what they did, it's easier to take what you're saying, the murder charge, the biggest hammer, and suspend it. Just have it hanging over this person's head and say, look, you can take the lower ones. And that's that. If you choose not to, then I'm going to cut the string on this bigger hammer and I'm going to drop it on you. Right. And now you're looking at bigger charges. You're looking at more time. And that prosecutor probably did that mathematical formula that I was talking about, right? What was the damage he did? What's the amount of government resources he wasted? What else happened? Is it really going to change anything as far as society's concerned if we charge him with murder? If he gets 20 instead of 10, it's not going to undo the damage and we're just going to waste more resources, right? So let's use that hammer get you to take the lower one because you're guilty of all of them. <clears throat> Might as well just wrap this up so that you can go on and serve your time and we can try to get back to normalcy. Right. And, I mean, you know, the fact is he made a bad decision. And chances are some of that decision, the reason he's going 150, was because of intoxication. But that's not a defense, right? The, the legislator specifically says you don't get a pass because part of your bad decision was made due to the alcohol. Due to the alcohol. However, ultimately what we're talking about is a situation where he did not consciously aim to cause harm to somebody. Yeah, so the comparison... <clears throat> What I was talking about, we had a small break here. What I was talking about was, in the eyes of the legislator, they look at the DWI, intoxicated manslaughter charge, and say, you made a mistake that people make. You, drunk, you got drunk and then you drove a car. You made a mistake that people do, they speed. You made all these mistakes together and ultimately... You did the one thing we were trying to prevent. They look at the Tory Lane situation, and I think they have a different lens there, and they're just like, you've got some darkness there. There's something wrong, right? The choice you made was harm. You wanted to intimidate somebody. You wanted to scare somebody. You right. might have wanted to hit her. <clears throat> you think that's fair? Do I, well, I guess, do I think what's fair? The lenses in which they look at the two potential criminals, right? <clears throat> if we remove those two guys from the situation, right? And the story is John Q got drunk, drove a car, crashed, killed somebody. I believe the legislator looks at that as a mistake. Right. Uh, <clears throat> an avoidable mistake, but there's no malice. Right. <clears throat> John Q, on the other hand... Gets one of those road rage accidents, pulls a gun out, starts shooting at the other driver, or gets into an argument at a restaurant or a bar, and his go-to is to pull out a knife and start wielding at people or shooting at somebody. Yeah. I think they look at that as there's malice in your heart. There's something there that you want to harm somebody. Right. I think that, I think there's, I mean, like you specifically said with the intoxication incident that... You know, the legislator sees it as it's a mistake. And I, that's clearly true because the statute itself uses the word mistake. 
they recognize that the intoxication manslaughter is a situation where it's a mistake or an accident. It's almost like they're saying, it's almost like it's a situation where even if you were sober, this could have happened. And if it did, it would have been a mistake or an accident and nothing would have come of it. We're punishing you because it happened while you were intoxicated. And, you know, without the intoxication, sans intoxication, maybe it wouldn't have. Yeah, um, and I think there's a thing that a lot of people don't know, and even some lawyers have trouble with it in school. Um, we learn it in different weird caveats, but it's like a loss of chance. And I think all you've done is increase the chance that harm would happen right. through the introduction of alcohol. Right. And that's a weird concept to try to measure because most people drive home, like you said, unfortunately, almost every day drinking and driving and nothing happens. Yeah. But you're gambling, right? You're raising that percentage every single time. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, you, you asked the question, is it fair? <clears throat> I mean, I, let's, you know, why? Why is it different to be intoxicated than to play around with a gun? Why do they treat gun crimes more serious? To be frank, it's probably something that should be taken a little more seriously. But we live in a culture where alcohol is so pervasive and everybody drinks. And to be frank, probably most people have at some point driven while they probably shouldn't have. And because of that, it just kind of gets treated maybe a little less seriously than it should. Um, however, then let's compare now the, it to the Tory Lane situation. Let's compare the intoxication manslaughter to the Tory Lane situation and kind of contrast, you know, the differences there. Um, <clears throat> Tory Lane's did an, an inherently dangerous act. Anything you do with a gun where it gets fired is dangerous. Even if you're being safe, it's still dangerous. Um, <clears throat> and he pointed it at somebody, you know, at least in their general direction. And given the story, then said, you know, dance, bitch, dance. And so it was clear he was shooting it directly at her with a high likelihood of, uh, likelihood of hitting her. Now, he was obviously kind of, you know, if you take that at its best, if you give him the highest benefit of the doubt, you can say he's just messing around. He's trying to maybe kind of scare her a little bit. But his intention is to shoot at the ground and not hit her. Um, he doesn't intend necessarily to cause the harm. It's either a knowing or reckless act that qualifies it for the aggravated assault. <clears throat> so let's talk about, you know, you talk about fairness. Is it fair that he got 10 and Ruggs is only looking at up to 10? Ultimately, I think you have to say yeah, because it went to a jury trial. A jury decided that, and here's the thing. There's a reason the range of punishment is so wide. A third-degree felony in Texas is 2 to 10. A second-degree felony is 2 to 20. There's a reason they don't just say, okay, second-degree felony, let's make it 10 to 20. Let's set the bottom end at 10. They don't do that. They set it at 2 because they still recognize that there's going to be situations with these second-degree felonies where it can still be considered less serious than a third-degree felony. 
You know, Ruggs with an intoxication manslaughter could get up to 10 years. Tory Lane could have got as few as two. And so that is built in to the way the statutes are written to account for the fact that every situation has different facts that may make it more or less egregious. So let's uh, talk about that jury trial because the one thing we need to do as lawyers or anybody who's looking at legal things is to parcel them out piece by piece, right? How much of an effect do you think the dance bitch dance had on the jury? Huge. Because as much as you said that and I laughed, because I I do think it's funny. Um, However, it's funny in a morbid way. Yeah. You know, if I heard that in the context of a jury trial where I'm sitting there passing judgment, I would still probably think it's a little funny, but I would also think this guy's a fucking psychopath or at the very least he has something wrong with him. That makes a huge difference to me than just having heard the story where he shot her in the foot. Because it does go to intent, right? Like there's no way to say, well, I wasn't aiming at her. Right. Because I was telling her to dance you know popping off the shots at her feet there also goes to an intent that he registered that she should move her feet out of the way and then he also disregarded the fact that if i hit her well fuck it yeah exactly i think that's a big part of it you know he clearly treated it like a he made light of the situation that's what you're doing by saying something like that you're making light of the situation because it's kind of a joke it's kind of a funny thing you're making light of a situation where you're pointing a gun at somebody and shooting it. Meaning that he doesn't take what he did all that seriously. You know, regardless I, of whether I hit her or not. And I think that's the scariest part. If you were to ask the majority of society, you know, a sliver of that is what a jury's supposed to be, right? Of your peers. I don't think a lot of people have shot at another human being. Right. It's a, it's a thing, right? It requires some sort of either just wanton disregard or they do studies in the military they do all kinds of things where first go around troops intentionally miss their shots and that's a full-on war zone like that guy's trying to kill you right like if you don't shoot that guy he's gonna shoot back at you yeah and and they still miss they still have trouble swallowing that pill of like okay i'm gonna pull this trigger and this thing's gonna come out and hit this other person and that's an irrevocable act I wonder if the jury took that into consideration, if they could place themselves into his shoes and just think, could I even pull this trigger? For sure. I'm sure. And, you know, obviously we're just speculating as to what exactly the facts were. You know, we saw this in an article. There's other things that could go on that a jury's going to take into account. I mean, what happened after, once he shot her? Who called the Oh, who that's called what the we ambulance? forgot to say. Supposedly, he offered everybody a million dollars not to say anything. Oh, okay. So then there, you know, additional things. What I was going to say is, you know, he apparently then was the first person to put out a diss track. So that kind of makes it sound like he's almost trying to deflect, you know, responsibility. Uh, And just, again, so stupid. Um, But all that stuff would add up to me. To show why, you know, they came back with a, a sentence, not even on the higher end, really. It's just in the middle, but 10 years as opposed to something lower. Yeah, and I don't know. I might have to do a little research to see if he's actually going to have to do all 10 years because it is a violent crime. 
Um, I don't know what the parole looks like there. Right. Um, and I think, uh, and I could be incorrect here, but I think even at minimum, he'd likely be eligible for parole after half if it were in Texas. Don't know how other states do it. But I think he'd be eligible for parole at half term. I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up, too, because uh, with COVID, they did change a lot of the parole and bail and stuff like that when it comes to violent crimes or anything okay. with a weapon. Um, but even then, maybe he did it on purpose. This might be beneficial to his career. His rap game might be a lot right. more solid. He gets credibility from it. Hey, I mean, it also you know makes a big difference, I think, how many times did he fire? You know, If he fired one time and hit her in the foot, and it could be shown like he wasn't really trying to hit her in the foot. He was just trying to scare her. Betty gets off a lot lighter. But if he shot, you know, 10 times and said, dance, bitch, dance, that's, you know. Yeah, I don't think you can shoot once and do the dance. You got to do the right. at least the six shooter from the Wild West, man. You need One a couple of bullets. does yeah. not make a dance. Yeah, it does you not. Multiple. Um, you got anything else on these two? <clears throat> no, I mean, ultimately, I think what we set out to... I think part of it, we're comparing them. And so I think when you're comparing, ultimately, you have to ask the question of, okay, so which is which is worse, which is more serious? You know, if the question is, I think you said on online, you see lots of people saying, man, Tory Lane shot someone in the foot and got 10. Ruggs, at worst, is going to get 10. Does that seem fair? Does that seem to line up with what, you know, Maybe aside from is it just fair, does it line up with what I would expect to see? Based on the little bit we know, <clears throat> honestly, I am almost on the other end. Uh, sure, there may be some bad facts with Tory Lane that we don't know about, but ultimately, I think it's pretty clear he wasn't trying to, he certainly wasn't trying to kill her. It's like you that know. old Chappelle episode where he just shoots him in the leg, always below the waist. Yeah. As you can see here, he's not trying to kill him. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yes, was he doing something terrible? Was he not giving enough weight to the fact that he's firing a weapon at somebody? That I mean, there's all kinds of arteries and, and different blood vessels in your legs that I think you could hit and somebody would just die and bleed out pretty quickly. She definitely could have died. But... It likely wasn't what he was intending to do. Now, and so on the other hand, you say, well, Ruggs was also not intending to kill anybody, clearly. But were his actions any less reckless than firing the gun? Honestly, I don't think so. I mean, you're driving a two-ton death machine at 150 miles an hour while intoxicated. If you make any mistake there, somebody's probably going to die. Either the person you hit or yourself. And in this situation, Ruggs had his girlfriend in the passenger seat. So it's honestly shocking to me that Ruggs and his girlfriend were fine. And they may have had some kind of injury. But so in my mind, you know, I think these are pretty close together. I think they're on the same level. Like I said, they could have charged Ruggs, in my opinion, with something more serious. If I heard that Ruggs got sentenced to 25 years, I might say, damn. That that sucks. That's that's high, but I wouldn't be shocked, and I wouldn't feel that it was unjust. And on the flip side, I think if I heard that Tory Lane got sentenced to twenty five years, I would say yeah, that's that's a bit much. And so, with that in mind, you know. Yeah, and I think that's a whole other podcast, right? Because 
it's the argument that everybody has, whether you're in the legal profession or not, is that what's the point, right? What's the point of our jobs? Are we here for punishment? Are we here for rehabilitation? Are we here for preventative measures? It's like, what, what are we doing here, right? And like when we started, we just talked about, well, Megan's still on tour. She's still dropping albums. She's still doing her thing. Yeah. And unfortunately, the victim in the Ruggs case, Ms. Tintor, is not. Okay. So that's one, right? We can't undo the death. And thankfully, Megan Thee Stallion didn't bleed out. She didn't lose uh, use of her foot, that sort of thing. But on the, on the flip side, well, if we're here for rehab, which one needs more rehab? The guy who's willing to pull out his gun and shoot at people for making fun of him? Or the one that got drunk and had an accident? It's the worst accident you could have, but he did. Right. Who is likely, and that's always something you have to take into consideration. We didn't really discuss this, but, and, you know, it's not something I've thought about necessarily super recently, so I'm probably forgetting some parts of it. But I, I know I've heard there are a couple theories of basically punishment when somebody's being sentenced to a, on a criminal charge. And it's rehabilitation, you know, it, we are doing this, whatever happens, to help rehabilitate the person, okay? Restitution, we are doing this to restore whatever happened to the way it was. <clears throat> and then uh, punitive, which is we're doing this to punish. Um, I think there's also a, a retribution side, which is close to punishment, but where I think punitive is we're punishing the person. Retribution is we're doing this to make ourselves feel better about the situation. Um, but rehabilitation, restitution, punishment, and every case might take one of those into consideration, might take all three. Um, you know, what, I think your question was, you said which one would be more likely to be rehabilitated. I think clearly in this situation, if you're thinking about it that way, it's gotta be rugs, <clears throat> okay? He had, maybe this suggests he had a drinking problem. Maybe it just suggests he just drank way too much and shouldn't be drinking. But either way, this guy can stop. He might just be living that life, right? You go from, you got to think, you get on a middle school peewee football team. You get into a high school football team. You make it into college. You win the lottery through yeah. all your hard work. You end up in the NFL. Now you're flying high and you're untouchable. And you're a kid. Right. You're just a He's kid. 20, 22 years old. Yeah. And you start hanging out with different people. You start seeing things you never thought you were going to see in your lifetime. He's probably doing stuff none of us were ever going to get a chance to do. And he got away from him. Yeah. I think there's a very high chance that Ruggs, whatever he's sentenced to, he'll get out of prison and he will never commit another crime again. He yeah. will live a very productive life somehow, hopefully trying to make amends for what he did. Um, I would say there's a much higher chance that Tory Lane is going to end up doing more stupid shit. Yeah, and if this doesn't change Henry Ruggs' life, well, then the next time send him away forever. Because if you can't change when you've taken someone's life, you're just never going to change. Right. 
Um, as y'all can see, uh, just talking through it, things changed in both of our opinions. Things changed on both of how we thought about it. Um, the law is nuanced. It's complicated. Um, and it's just difficult to wrap each situation. Like we said at the very beginning, each one's case by case. And the only reason we did the comparison is, one, it's entertaining. And two, it's what normal people are doing on the Internet right now, right? So we were trying to just shed some light on the different legal approaches to the cases, the different laws to the cases, and then just, I don't know, talk like people, right? Because at the end of the day, it's all we are, just trying to figure out what's the point. I think that's it for us on this one. We'll wrap it up, and then we'll see you all next week with a different topic, and uh, see where we go from there. Thanks for listening.